Yes, please, if you don't mind. Thank you, Nick. Is it on? It's all good. Good morning, everyone. Good. Let's turn, please, to uh, Colossians and chapter 1 and verse 24. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. Before we look at the word, let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for bringing us together here this morning. Thank you for the sun and the sky. Thank you, Father, for what you do for us every day, for the clothes that we have, the houses, the food. We just thank you, Father, for the way that you bless us, and we want to praise your name this morning for that. Thank you for gathering us all together. Thank you for the members of our families uh, that are beside us today. Lord, we just pray that as uh, we look into your word, your Holy Spirit uh, might open our minds, might open our hearts, and might bend our will to your will. For we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. Just going to get going here. Make sure everything is okay. Very good. Uh, I'm reading from Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. In reality, the uh, subject today, which is maturity, just to let you know, the subject is maturity. And uh, what we're reading here in Colossians can be divided into two verse 24 to 29, and chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. Um, and uh, like I said, what I want to try to do is to show or to discuss maturity as it's found in this passage and how we might also grow into maturity. So let's read Colossians 1, 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is his church, which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given for me to you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodice and for all who have not seen me face to face, that the hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I read uh, a book, oh, it's, be, it's been I, maybe 10, 15 years. First thing Lou is going to do to me when we are in the car after, she's going to say, no, it wasn't 10 or 15 years. It was only 20 or 25. I always get the time wrong, and she's always right on dot. But anyway, it was a long time ago, hon. <laughs> and uh, I read three books by this author named Gordon MacDonald, and this one here, it was a book about restoring your spiritual passion. Spiritual passion, and to make it uh, congruent with what we're looking this morning, the idea of spiritual passion is to live in a way that spiritually, in our lives, there is a, a knowledge and there is a gratefulness with the presence of God and how he is working in us and among us. But Gordon MacDonald, there was a time in his life where things were not going well. And he said, how can I make sure that instead of going down, I go up? Instead of just staying on a plateau with regards to my spiritual uh, passion, how can I go up? How can I, I reverse this downward spiral and start to go up? And he realized that it depended on the relationships that he could have with people around him. The relationships fed into his spiritual passion. And so the relationships that we have and that we live can either help us go up or go down, become mature, or stay immature. And he broke the different relationships into these five that you see here on the screen. He worked off of the acronym VIP, and he changed a couple of the, uh, the words uh, to get his point across. I asked forgiveness for the two groups that were in uh, Lulu and I on the Tuesday and the Wednesday. We've already shared this a little. I hope that you get a little bit more today. He said, we have around us people that we might call very resourceful people. These are the people that feed into our lives. He said also, we have around us the very important people. And these are the people that are in our lives with whom we work, with whom we minister maybe in, uh, in the gospel. Uh, it's the people that take up most of our lives and that we need them and they need us in whatever we are called to do. The VTPs are very teachable people. We not only must have someone that's going to input into my life, but we must also have an occasion to get out of what we have and put it into the lives of others. We also have what's called the VNPs. The VNPs are those people that we just love to have supper with. 
and we might even have a glass of wine. And we'll sit and we'll talk and we'll listen to some music and we'll just be happy together. We call these the very nice people. And there you've got at the last the VDPs, which are called the very draining people. And although I'm not going to talk about that much this morning, I'd like to change the D for this morning and say there are those that are called the very dangerous people too. And the problem is, is that in Colossae, in English, in Colossae, what they had, they had very dangerous people that were stopping the Colossians from growing in their spiritual passion and becoming mature Christians. Now what McDonald says is that we must make sure that the time that we have in our lives is not necessarily taken up by certain people. If I ask you this morning to wake you all up, which do you think is the most important kind of person that I need in my life here? Yeah, go ahead, John. Go ahead. I would say the opposite, brother. The very draining people, they're the ones that we do not necessarily spend the most time with. In fact, if we spend more time with the people that drain us, what's going to happen is we're going to become drained, and we're not going to be useful, and we're not going to have any passion. What other person that you see that's up here that's important or should be important in our lives? Beg your pardon? Yeah, the teachable. I've got to be able to have people in my life that I'm able to bring from my life and give to them. And this is an important part of my life. Then there are also the very nice people, like I said. There's a very important people through my work. And then we've got the very draining or the very dangerous people. If we divided this by percentage, how much do you think we should give the very resourceful people in our lives. More. Um? More. More? Yeah, more, yeah. But how much? Out of a out of percentage, 100%, how much are we going to give the very resourceful people? How much do you think we need the very resourceful people in our lives? Come on, give me an idea. Oh, my goodness. 20. Huh? 20. 20? All right, good. I'll take that for the moment. Very teachable people. How much? 40. 40. 30. All right. So we give very teachable people even more time than we give the very resourceful people. Okay. What about uh, the very important people? 40. Yeah, 40 again. What about the very nice people? 99. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> very good. But no, <laughs> they're very nice people, we need them, but they are not necessarily the people that should take up the most time in our lives. And then the very drained people, very draining or very dangerous people, how much time? Ten. Ten, five, two, three. The idea is we've got to have people in our lives that are going to help us grow, that are going to help us mature. And so... McDonald understood that if he wanted to grow, he had to give the percentages that were necessary to these people in his own life. 
And I think that Paul is saying exactly the same thing uh, when he's talking to the Colossians. Um, you see, there was, next slide. Uh, there was a desire and there was a problem with the Colossians. And the desire and the problem in a certain way had to do with the relationships that they were living and they had to live. Their desire was to experience the fullness of Christ. I know we go into Colossians and we think, well, there's false teachers, there's false doctors. They're trying to get them to believe in something else. I don't necessarily believe that that is the goal of Colossians. I believe that what Paul is saying in Colossians is that the Colossians, they desired a full experience of Christ, whatever that meant for the moment. They desired a full experience of Christ, but they were not getting it, and so they were searching through people that were around them that were experiencing certain things spiritually and they wanted to add this to their Christianity so they could live a full and blessed Christian life. They practice what's called syncretism. And religious syncretism, it, it's the blending of two or more religious belief systems into a new system or the incorporation of beliefs from unrelated traditions into a religious tradition. Sometimes we as Christians also might practice a syncretism with regards to certain practices that we think are absolutely necessary so that we might grow or we might mature in Christ or we might experience the full blessing that is in Christ. We might experience what's called the deep life in Christ. And the Colossians, what they were doing, they were taking part of what people there that worship what were called the mystery religions. Uh, they were taking from them and the experiences that they had and they said, well, we'll add this to our Christian life. And that there were other people that were saying, well, you know, there's a part of the Old Testament that's really, really important. And if we practice this, then I'm sure that we would have an even better Christian life. And there were other people that were teaching completely other things, but to help the Colossians to become really more deep in their spiritual lives. The Colossians, the whole epistle, is the desire for Paul and also the desire for the Colossians to live what Paul calls the fullness of God or the fullness of Christ. And what was important is that they would learn that this fullness would be gained depending on the, the, the relationships that they would have with three different groups of people. <coughs> well, not groups. The first one is Christ himself. The second one is Paul. And the third one is the other Colossians. So very resourceful people, and the Colossians would be very important people. But the idea is that Paul, what he wanted is that they would understand everything that they could get because of Christ and everything that they could get from Paul and everything that they could get from one another so that they could grow. You see, growth in maturity is not a question of me being alone with my God and having some sort of esoteric 
Christian experience that, that I can say I will become full of Christ. It's not true. Paul says that's not the way it is. He gives in chapter 1 and verse 28 a theme verse for himself with regards to the Colossians. This verse that we have up on the screen and that I will read is a verse that I have given myself as a mission, a life mission. And that it says, Him, talking about Christ, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Three people are understood within this verse. There's Christ himself, there's Paul, and there's all the other Colossians or all the other believers. And the goal, the goal for Paul is that everyone, everyone could become mature in Christ. Not be a baby, but be a mature in Christ. I had a man that I knew that when he preached, he would say, listen, he says, I love babies as much as anybody else. But if you're still a baby when you're 40 years old, it's just not the same thing. So what Paul wants is that we as Christians should mature. What is interesting is that probably three years after Paul established the church in Corinth, three and a half years, he said, I consider that you should not be children anymore, but you should be adults in Christ. Think about that. Not 40 years, not 30 years, not 20, three and a half years. Paul was wanting the Corinthians to be mature. And that's what he gave his life to. Like I said myself, that is my mission verse for my own life. What do I desire to do? What, what is the passion that really boils up inside me according to what I have learned from the Word and what I have experienced living with God too? It's this desire to see every person that is in my life become mature in Christ because I know if they do become mature, they will live the fullness of God. So, the first relationship. Paul says, him we proclaim, speaking of Christ. And so he says, a relationship with Christ as a resource, a VRP, is absolutely essential. Why? Because Christ himself has a desire. It says in the verses that we see that David Burton gave us last week, that Christ has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him so that he may present everyone mature in Christ. So it is the mission of Christ himself to make you mature. But how? How might God make me mature? How does God work in my life? How does God work in the world so that I might become mature? Uh, last week, uh, Dave spoke on verse 15 to 23 in chapter 1, and he gave us an exposition of the gloriousness 
of God. And it was unbelievable. If you weren't here and you haven't heard it, I suggest very strongly listen to it and just let God speak to your hearts on how great and beautiful is the Lord Jesus in God's plan. He is called the image of God. He is called he that has created all things. He is called he for whom all things are created. And although what we have in Colossians 1 and in verse 15 to 20 is an exposition of Christ being God, there's something else going on here. And what we see is that Paul is telling us Christ or a, a God has become man so that his sorry that his sorry brethren that his desires would be accomplished God has a goal God wants to do something in this world you see it says here that he reconciled us the reason that God had to reconcile us is because the Bible says that we were strangers, we were aliens to God's life. We were not known to him, we were, not, we were known by him, but we, had, we wanted nothing to do with God. And this happened because, as we heard in the first service, because Adam sinned against God. And because Adam sinned against God, he was thrown out of the garden, and being thrown out of the garden, he was... So he, there was an obstacle for him and his wife and all of his posterity to be able to live the fullness of God. In reality, Paul is saying in Colossians chapter 1 that God has created a new. And this time, instead of Adam being the image of God, it is Christ himself who is the image of God. Christ is to take the place that Adam should have taken in the garden. And so Christ, God, becoming the new Adam, what has happened is God has created something new. He has given us a new creation. You see, we are living here in this world. We're living according to the old creation. And we've really messed it up because of our sin. We have lived like Adam in the sense that we have decided not to worship God, but worship ourselves and to gather unto ourselves all kinds of different idols so that we can satisfy ourselves and live in the way that we want to. And in doing this, we have shut God out and God in a way has shut us out too. You might be sitting there this morning and thinking, oh, well, you know, I know God, I know what the Bible teaches, or I know what I have been taught. I know that supposedly Jesus died on the cross for me, uh, and that's okay, but I'm still, you know, I'm going to just live my life the way that I want. God says we can't do that. That would mean that we are part of the old humanity, the old creation. And the people that are part of the old humanity and the old creation, one day will be judged by God, and we will not be permitted in the eschaton, in the last time, we will not be permitted to live with God and with his people for eternity. We are shut out. Do not think that 
because we have lived in a certain way that God will accept us because the Bible does not teach that. We need to be reconciled. And reconciliation comes from the, the, the context of the war. When I'm at war with someone and I need to be reconciled, I need to be made a friend again. God was always our friend. But we are not always, we do not always consider God our friends. Far from it. And so we live in the way that we want, but it's very dangerous. But God somehow through Jesus has performed a miracle. And because of Jesus, one day we will be present before God, holy, blameless, and above reproach. Perfect before him. That's when we will be perfectly mature. But God's will today is that this maturity might be lived day after day and more and more and that we might experience the fullness of God. That, that is what God desires for us. A story I heard many years ago and I, uh, uh, I'd like to share it with you and I might change a couple of things but just to give you a an idea of what I'm saying. People are in front of Jesus at the judgment before the throne of God. And you've got women, you've got men, you've got children, you've got older people, you've got every person that has ever lived on the earth and ever will live, and they're coming before Jesus. And Jesus takes out his projector. This is just a, a, an image. Eh? Takes out his projector and he says, okay, the first one, Harry, yes. Come on up. It's your night. And he shows Harry's life. And Harry, during his whole life, he was a pretty good guy. Worked all of his life. Got married. Had kids. Always took care of his family. Always took care of his kids. And we could say... Yet I have old Jack, like we'd say in Quebecois. He was a good guy. And Jesus looks at him and says, yeah, you were a good guy in a sense, but I'm sorry, you're dirty. You're dirty. You're dirty. Then another person comes up, and this person has been in an evangelical church all of his life. He's read the Bible back and forth and sideways. He's learned all the verses by heart. He's been at every prayer meeting, breaking of bread and family Bible hour that they've ever had for the 80 plus years that Rosemont Bible Church has existed. He, he has been faithful to the church. And we see this. We see this as Jesus is showing this picture of this person's life. And, you know, the guy is there and he, you know, He's got a little bit of a red face and he's just a little bit proud of himself because of this life that he lived. And Jesus looks at him and says, I'm sorry, you're dirty. Then you have another person and this person comes up and they show his life. And this is a person that's made a lot of money. A lot of money. But not only has he made a lot of money, but he's given a lot of money away. And so we see during this whole scene of his life that this person, he has helped literally thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. 
And he too has a little bit of a red face and says, oh, good, eh? Jesus looks at him and says, you're dirty. And then this guy comes up. Not anything special. And they start, they start to show his life. This is a guy that has done everything possible that God does not like. He's married. He's divorced. Not once, several times. He's abandoned his kids. He's been taking drugs off and on for a certain amount of time. He's stolen. He's even killed a person one day. And he comes up and he bows his head before Jesus. And Jesus shows this whole life in front of everybody because the Bible says everything will be known. All thoughts, all words, all actions, everything will be known. So one day we're going to be before Jesus and he's going to show all this. And he looks at the person with a smile on his face and he says, you're clean. And he takes out a white coat and he puts the white coat on the person and he permits this person to enter into glory for themselves. Now all the other people are saying, hey, 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 look, look at everything I've done and look at what this guy's done. And you're letting him in? You're saying he's clean? He's far from clean, sir. And Jesus says, no, he's been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so he's perfectly clean. You see, people, we need a relationship with Jesus. Because if we don't have a relationship, not only will we not mature, we don't even exist. We have to be born again, as you've probably heard many people talk about. We have to be born again into the new humanity through Christ. We have to be put in Christ. And the only way that that might be done is if we believe and we trust. Fifty some odd years ago, I too thought I believed. I'd been going to church since I was a very young child, the, red, the church with the red roof downtown. I'd been serving the mass, what it's called even in the Anglican church. I was at their Sunday school. I really believed. I was so scared of demons and vampires that I said, Lord, the way that you're going to take care of me, I'm going to read the whole Bible. I was young. I'm telling you, maybe, I don't know, 11, 10 I read the whole Bible, plus I bought myself a nice crucifix, and every night when I go to sleep, I put it under my pillow. I was safe, man. It was all good. And if I was talking with my friends, I would always talk about God. They knew that I was a believer. But then all of a sudden, I came to this church and I heard the word of God like Paul talks about in Colossians. I heard the word of God. And as I went on, God revealed to me his mystery. 
And a mystery, according to the Bible, is not something that's hidden that we got to go and find some way to find out what it means. No, a mystery, according to the Bible, is something that was hidden before, and all of a sudden, it has appeared. It has been revealed. There's been light. And one day, I came home, and I was in my living room. Some of you have already heard this story. I never tire of telling it, to tell you the truth. And I was sitting in my living room. Lula was not home yet. And I was feeling pretty good about myself. If God showed the picture of my life, everything was good. But then all of a sudden, God opened my heart and he showed me that I was far from good. I was dirty. And if I met God that day, I was in trouble. And what did God want me to do? Just one thing. One thing. And like I've told many, I was on the floor. I was crying. I was on all fours. Seriously, all fours. Tears were streaming by my face and I was sobbing. And all of a sudden, I just picked up my head and I looked at the wall and I could see Christ on the cross and he said Leslie you feel like a piece of you know what I said yeah but he looks at me and he says see this it's for you no matter how you are what you are what you have done I'm willing to make you today a member of the new humanity. I'm willing to make you a member of my family. All you have to believe is that when I did this, you were saved. Are you a part of God's new humanity this morning? Can you say that if right now God permits you to pass and you fall on the floor. Can you say, doesn't matter? Because as soon as I'm there and I open my eyes, I'm in the presence of God and no matter what my life has been, no matter what I've been, no matter how, who I am, no matter what, I have put my faith in Jesus and I know that when I meet him face to face, he's going to say, here's your coat, come on in. Can you say that today? I'm telling you, according to the word of God, according to the Bible, that's what Jesus wants for every one of you. You see, he has created a new humanity ever since his resurrection. And one day he will return and he will redeem and restore the whole world and humanity. And I'm going to be there. Might not look like I look today, thank God. But I'll be there. Will you be there? Think about it. Will you be there? I am telling you this morning that you can be there. Not just because I'm saying it. Like Paul, when he's telling the Colossians, it's not a question of me. It's a question of what Jesus has done and what God has done. He has created a new humanity. He's willing to reconcile you now, today, right at this moment. Do you realize you can say right now, right at this minute, I'm a child of God. I'm a member of God's new humanity. Why? Because of what I have done? No. Because if it was according to what I had done, I'd be one of the last ones to tell you the truth. 
but because of what Jesus did. He has forgiven me. He forgave me on the 30th of December, 1970. I'm still forgiven, and I'll be forgiven until the day that I meet him. Am I perfect? No, but God has reconciled me. He has made me a member of his family. The first relationship you need to mature is to become a baby in Christ. Are you a member of Christ's family today? Have you taken that decision? Have you said to the Lord Jesus, Jesus, today I take the decision to believe in you. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. I take it. I believe it. There is nothing that's going to stop me from being in your presence for eternity and living out the reality of the true reality and the new creation. I'm going to live it because of you, Jesus. Just because of you. He's offering you a gift this morning. All you have to do is take it. Have you taken it? Second relation. It's a relationship with Paul. And Paul, too, had a goal, according to the verses that we read. His goal is to present us holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. He wanted to present everyone mature in Christ. And so Paul had a mission. This was his mission, to help everyone become mature in Christ. And he did this through the sharing of a message, a message that he had received by God. A message that before had been a mystery, but now has been revealed. And Paul has been chosen to give this to not only to the Colossians, but everybody in the world. He had a method, and that method was going and talking to people, helping them to know Christ, helping them to grow in Christ. And he had an unchanging mindset in the sense that even if he suffered, no matter what, he persevered and he was consistent in doing what God wanted to do. He loved God and he loved the Colossians like he loved everyone else that had not yet accepted to become a member of God's new humanity. And the last relationship is a relationship with one another. As Paul says, as you have received Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Have a relationship one with another so that we might grow. And who is that person? That person is a person who has received the message, that is walking the message, and that is strengthened by the message. Last one. As I see, we're almost there. Again, are you a member of God's humanity? If you are, if you're not, come see me after. Please, come see me. But if you are, what God wants for you is that you mature. To mature, you can't do it on your own. You need resources. Like Paul. You have to look around you and say, who is there that already knows how to be mature or how to walk in Christ. Who can I attach myself to so that that person can become a resource that I can grow in Christ? When I was first saved, I had the people that brought me to the Lord. Dr. Dawson's father was one of them. 
But after that, I had another gentleman that was starting a church in Laval amongst the French people. He became my mentor. And he was a person that, he took care of me in the sense that he said, Leslie, he said, Les, I saw in you this desire to know God and to know his word and to serve him like I rarely see. He'd sigh. He saw me one day in the metro. He tells, I had my little Bible and I'd be reading it. And there was Leslie with a, a professional Bible. You know, one of these big ones. And I'm sitting there in the metro and I'm reading it. And if anybody asked me what it says, let me tell you, I was ready to tell them. But he became a resource and he was the one that taught me, taught me and gave me the, the other passions in my life. The passion of seeing churches started. The passion of getting into the word and understanding the word in all of its intricacies. Never just receiving what someone else says, but getting into the word and trying to understand it. He said, Les, it's not my knowledge that I'm giving you. What I want to give you is the tools so that you too can get into the word and get the knowledge. And he gave me the passion also for the church of Christ and the breaking of bread, the community. Another resource that I have and I still have today is N.T. Wright. I studied with him at McGill. I'd heard John Stott say to a person one day when he was talking and he, someone asked him, you know, who do you see on the horizon that's going to be very, very important because this is toward the end of John Stott's life. Well, not necessarily the end, the end, but it, he was old. And he said, the next great evangelical theologian that this world will see and will recognize, he said, is a gentleman called N.T. Wright. Then I heard that he was teaching at McGill. Bang! I think it didn't take me two weeks before I changed my degree from archaeology to New Testament at McGill just to be able to study under him. And now, until today, I read everything that he writes. He's a resource. He's a resource. You need resources. But you need also people that you're willing to put your life into. And you can't, you know, Paul says about Timothy, he says, I have no one with me that takes the churches to heart, as does Timothy. Bill told me one day, he says, Les, we'll probably talk to literally thousands of people in our lives will probably have influence to quite a few people too. But he says, and he said this was a tremendous compliment. He says, Les, I'll only have one Timothy, and that's you. The idea is he was ready to pour his life into me. And you know what? We need to pour our lives into others too. We need to look around us, whether it be our kids, whether it be the people that we know from the church or Bible studies, I don't know, to get to know these people in a personal way so that we can help these individuals become mature in Christ, that we're willing to give our lives to these people. If you know someone like that, go ask them. They become a resource for you. 
And if you see that there are people around that can receive from you, every one of us has a gift from God, something from God that we can use and that we can give to others. It's not just a question of staying at our house and doing what pleases us. It's a question of saying, okay, you know what? I am going to take this time. I am going to do this and I am going to invest my life. Not in things, not even in ministries, in people. Wanting to teach, to encourage every man so that we can bring every man mature in Christ. That's what God wants. And then your VIPs, who you're working with. Who are you working with that you can encourage and help one another to become mature together. Let's stand.